literally, when you put somebody's eyes seven feet above where they usually are, you literally do get a different perspective. And so we're sort of turning the perspective on ourselves, like where are we now in our art making? How is it done in other places? Are there better practices, better ideas, similar ideas, similar challenges? Welcome to a special edition of Park Bench. For the past seven years and 31 episodes, Park Bench has been a whimsical mobile interview outpost with a serious agenda. We ask folks to have a seat, consider a big idea from a different perspective, and then digitally record those conversations and podcast it to the world. But with episode number 32, we leave the Park Bench at home and turn our attention and the microphone on ourselves, our art, and some people who have inspired us for years. This spring, Theatre Simple's co-founders Lisa Holland and Andrew Litsky traveled to Devon, England, about four hours west of London, to do intensive work with the ensemble Multistory and its founders Jill Nathanson and Bill Buffery, who we first met and toured alongside in Canada 15 years ago. Also, in London, we interviewed and observed Kath Berlinson and her ensemble, The Authentic Artists Collective, another mate from our Canadian and Australian touring days. Over three very busy days in Devon and one in London, we shared philosophy and tactics, plotted future work together, met with Beeford Arts Rural Touring Director Mark Wallace, and soaked up the impossibly rustic landscape that has been Bill and Jill's working home for 30 years. We hope you enjoy the lilting accents and that you will forgive the serious sound quality issues, the result of conversations in cars, barns, cafes, and rehearsal halls. But through it all, we have done our best to represent the spirit of the conversations, the inspiring time spent with good friends and like-minded theater makers, and the particular way that multi-story exists in the challenging world of small-scale theater. And hopefully, we give you a little window into the passion and artistic sensibility that has kept us going in the theater for the past 23 years. And now, Theater Simple in England. When we first went to Canada yeah. in 98 Eight and 99, that mm -hmm. was as Orchard Theatre. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So we were um, two people from, from a, a big company, a, a, a much bigger company. Okay. So Orchard Theatre Company finished. We won't go into details. It closed. It ended. We both were set to go off and, and do acting careers. Just wanted to act. A friend rang and said, um, "I've got an offer to direct Oedipus Rex with a theatre company in Portugal. Can't do it. My mum's really ill. Would you like to do it?" Right. So I asked Bill if he'd come into partnership with me, him directing it and me running all the education workshops and helping form that and helping the company figure out how to do that. Ten days before we were due to go, we had this email saying, we've had a revolution in the theatre company, we've ousted our director, we've taken over, we're now cooperative and we don't want to do that, we're going to, we, want to be a dance, we want to be a dance company. Literally, we are in big trouble here, what are we going to do? My sister was saying, she's a primary school head teacher, she said, take out the kids' show, she said, I'll take it. We literally were sitting in a coffee shop in Biddeford and he said, I think I could, I could adapt Firebird for two people. How soon could we do that? Let's get three weeks and we got a few gigs. And we thought, well, this, this is quite nice because we could do this and this could keep us going in between the acting world. What was the first led, uh, I guess, orchard and yourselves to go to Canada. That is happens and serendipity because the woman who was at that time the administrator for Orchard and she kept saying you guys are working too hard, you need to go to Canada, you need to take a show up to Canada and just enjoy, yourself. enjoy yourselves and have a ball and take a show that you, you, like, you like, you know, you love, 
take it out there and enjoy it and just it'll refresh you do you what a good it would be totally self-financing which it was mm-hmm. and once we got out there then we were converts complete converts yeah. for all the reasons so we the second about year out there we said look we're doing stuff we care about to people who want to be there so the germ of I mean, the germ of the idea was already right, the whole kind of Portugal thing was important, but the germ of the idea was already there. Yeah. I've always been because we've only had like good yes. artistic conversation after shows yeah. a decade ago. I'm I'm always I've always been intrigued as to how you how you guys go about making theater. You two work in a very different way in terms of not working with the director and writing all of your own stuff. And it's it's something that I'm really interested in finding out how that generally works or if it has metamorphosized. There's the same basic principle, uh, uh, and and this continues, however the details change in terms of of our adult work. We spend A a long time before we start actually making the piece just really trying to get to the root of what is bugging us personally Hmm. about the world we're living in so what bugged us then was political betrayal Tony Blair we felt betrayed by Tony Blair at the Mm -hmm. time at that point and this is slightly different now at that point our first instinct when looking for 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 a play about betrayal would be to say okay what's the myth What's the big myth about the betrayal? The Greek myth mm. or the Indian myth or, or the folk what myth. What's the big mythic story about betrayal? Bill said, Do you know what? He said, I'm just going to read Medea again to see, get my head around this. He said, This is the one we have to do. And that became the, a sort of template for the kind of way we tend to work. But what was interesting about the, the, the show that we devised, and I say now the word devised because it was a different process, working with Mark at Beeford, was working with a dramaturg who was posing lots of different questions did actually make us change. And actually it was the first play that we did that didn't have a modern story refracted through an old myth. Mm -hmm. It was a modern story. Full stop. Full stop. Hence the multi-story. Does multi-story have a mission statement? Small-scale theatre with big ideas. Yeah. On the positive side, I think I can honestly say that the shows are truly organic. They truly do grow. The positive side of that is that we're absolutely engaged in every moment. I mean, it's not a bit obvious, but because it's ours and because it's been organic and because everything's been chewed over, debated over that line, that not that line, all the way through, it was it was owned. And they truly, truly, truly belong to us. I'd like to take a picture of that piece of graffiti that was by Red Riding Hood. <laughs> Red Riding Hood spray painting the graffiti that says, Fear makes the wolf look bigger. <laughs> That's good. How big of a community are we in right now? About seven or 8,000. That would be the town. But, okay. uh, but the hinterland uh, is important, and, and it's so anywhere in Devon that um, people will regularly travel at least 15 miles, 20 miles to to an event. Yes. And would each community like this, or even a little smaller, have 
an art center like this, or are these no. places that are really struggling to stay? Afloat? No, this is this is fairly unique in uh, North Devon, and I mean as a resource is um, so it's the result of particular local energy that founded it, and particular local energy that continues to make it work. And most schemes work on the basis that artists will write to those schemes around the country. And there's, I think it covers virtually the whole country now, I think. There are schemes that are abut each other, if you see what I mean. And you will submit your um, documentation for the production or whatever it is you want, your, propose, your proposals. Those schemes will curate those and select according to their remit and a certain amount of music, a certain amount of maybe film, theatre, live events or whatever. So now each village will bid for a number of events over a season. Some villages will say, oh we're only going to do two, some will do three and the maximum is usually about four. The successful villages, including Swimbridge, then start making their own relationship with artists and just, you know, striking their own deals, setting up their own Tour. That would be outside of the rural tourism yeah, yeah. and, yeah. and with no funding from the... Exactly, because no, they have built right. up a, a loyal audience, which Simbridge had. There has been proliferation of creative producers over the last few years. Gatekeepers, in yeah. other words. Right. Who you have to get through in order to get work out there. Alongside this... Um, hugely increasing population of people producing work that is basically form over content. The nub of what we actually ended up doing was the fact that we had seen over the previous six months three of possibly the worst pieces of theatre that we had ever seen. Oh my gosh. You have to define what, um, make, we'll, what makes... We'll come to that in a moment, but almost to the point where we, we kind of uh, thought, you know what, if this is there, what... There is if, if, if this is it now... And we're out of here. And this was in Devon? Yep. yep, yep, yeah. yep, yep. It's, it's a style. It's a style of acting. It's which anti -acting. is not acting, which is you know, anti-acting. I'm deliberately not acting. I'm not going to pretend I'm in, I'm in character. I am a normal person who doesn't move well, who's not particularly integrated, but this makes me authentic. Most of the work stays at that level. Mm. And it becomes a genre in its own right, which is fine up to a point. As long as, as long as that isn't all. Well, you have things where you, you need you need to work on ways of refining the method or the mode that you're bringing ideas forth. Uh, ostensibly, there were ideas. ostensibly the while you're working on the ideas as well. Um, Andrew and Lisa work not in the same way, but in a not dissimilar way. In, in, in some of their work, most of which has been mm -hmm. sort of week-long engagement with community in one way or another in order to build these either processional shows or, or site-specific shows. One of the few companies we know of that's been doing it for about 10 years in Seattle pieces that invite the audience to participate or as opposed to just sitting and watching. Um, like for instance the ones we've done, one's based on the Snow Queen, one based on the Wonderland books. We've been doing one based on the album Pussycat 
which is about poetry and again perspective, but then in, inventing stories. And when you get into a community and you tar- start telling stories or asking kids to power our boat with poems about something you love, they'll write about their community, they'll write about their parents, they, and, and then they get their, literally their artwork or their poetry is on the boat, and suddenly it's not just uh, a thing for the day, it's like it becomes a cumulative event. What's the name of the park here? Rock. Rock Park. And what about the mound? Is it worth having yeah, a look at the Castle mound? mound? Castle yeah, Mound might be interesting, right in the middle of town. Mm-hmm. Smaller, but it's interesting. It's got a couple of really oh, nice I, I think the, the first part of the park uh, yeah. seems well, to be the, the first more... the first two-thirds of the park. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, a, a little more contained yeah. and a yeah. little less, like, open yeah. field-like and some we'll features. Have, we'll have a look at Castle Mound as well, yeah. Yeah. where the old castle was in the middle of town. And, but yeah, you're right. This actually does remind me of Murray Bridge when we were in Australia doing the uh, outdoor uh, processional version of the Snow Queen, which was Gerda's Journey. And it was literally a kind of, at its widest point, was probably 20 meters. So it was was fairly narrow. Um, But we did this procession up and back and and created some really interesting environment. For us, our max was like about 300. Boom, here, watching something. Let's go somewhere else. Here's how it happens. Yeah. How do you keep the ball? How, how do you keep the ball in How do you keep the magic happening? Mm-hmm. Music, you know, some interaction that the audience is having with ambient performers along the way. We did one area that was this a visual and sound installation that was with mirrors, and we called it the Jabberwock. Okay. And as you walk, there were different speakers in the trees that were actually doing the Jabberwock and like the Jumblies or something. It was like okay. another poem okay. that was yeah, that yeah. was yeah, interspersed yeah. with it. And you're like walking through it. And it was quick. It was like yeah. Know, Five seconds to walk yeah. through it, but but, seeing, but it's not seeing, just a dead wall. And it does help to have performers helping to kind of spread that information throughout a moving crowd. Things that do then create not quite a seamless experience because you're up, you're walking. Some people have their strollers. There's but to feel for, for people to feel secure. We were talking about this in the car yesterday, where a lot of times that it's form over content. While you know we've certainly done shows that have, uh, I guess, similar form and structure. There's always, there's always story. There's always, usually, it involves an adventure that somebody goes on. In, in the Snow Queen, um, the young female character goes to save her friend who's been taken by the Snow Queen, and so literally, when she leaves home and the safety of home, that's when we get the audience up and everybody starts traveling along. So there actually is that, that sense of adventure. walk in the day before. Yeah. It's most satisfying months in advance so that you can either get some photos, make some decisions, or when you arrive a week or two ahead of time, we're thinking we did this in Australia where we literally took one of the snow queen and we would meet the community person and together we would go through this community space that they thought would be a good space. That even that aspect of it was a collaboration with, with a community member, thus a kind of a deeper drilling in. guys do. We create a lot of stuff of our own. We also have a very irregular crew of what we call simpletons that work with us and, and have inspired them to go touring. So part of the idea is just to kind of, you know, what can we gather from our perspective now, you know, 30 years into making stuff. One of the things I know that in the United States, 
each area, each geographic area, has a very different flavor artistically. Just driving just from London here, mm -hmm. that seems like that would also hold true, just to, like the needs and desires of each community, you know, what has happened culturally in the past and how that feeds the present. I, I think that's, that's a very insightful place from which to start. The difference, I think, between rural touring organizations and other arts organizations serving rural areas is defined by the fact that we don't have venues. The audiences we serve, because we take work out into relatively isolated rural communities, tend to be more defined by the fact that they are communities of place rather than audiences that are primarily defined as a community of interest who would go to a venue to see theatre. The easiest thing to say about rural touring is that in every case we have to draw a broad audience from a community of place mm -hmm. because that place will probably be a couple of hundred people. The one thing you will find in common across all the rural touring schemes is that we all work with volunteers out in those communities. Right. Virtually anything we put on is put on in partnership with someone who lives where we're showing it. Right. And so they, they, so are, they become the stakeholder in yes, the community. Yes. What you find is the, the trust that emerges between the audience and the community promoter means that what goes on is trusted as another thing that occurs within the, the right. life and cultural rhythm of that community. Right. Generally speaking, they are much more active in their social bonds and linked and willing to act in concert as a community more frequently. Beeford happens to be one of, I would say, two or three that in my mind are the more forward-thinking Progressive thinking of those those organisations. In what terms? Progressive in, thinking in terms, in terms of artistic of, ambition. Artistic ambition, and that, how that's reflected in the programming. You might develop what may be possible, what might be achievable, what might work, what within the community, and also what the links might be with artists, both immediately and in the long term. Mm. And that's where particularly interesting where BEEP is concerned, because you do have ambitions in terms of the long-term development. I think there's an interesting disjunct. If we now reflect this back to where we are, and... As it, it, yes, and if we have a frustration with rural touring, and this doesn't apply here locally, mm -hmm. because we have a completely different relationship in North Devon, but it might apply, for instance, oh, I don't know, with um, Live and Local, uh, yeah. for instance. Where's that? Live and Local is in the Midlands, and it's a really good scheme and yeah. run by somebody who we really admire. But part of their self-imposed remit is to provide a variety of work and not to go back particularly to companies that they've worked with before, except maybe perhaps a kind of four or five year cycle. cycle and is really frustrating to us because what we value more than anything is a growing relationship. Most rural arts organisations that are funded by Arts Council sit within what Arts Council terms its combined arts portfolio. What does that mean? Uh, so we're not specialist in any art form. That audience enjoys the arts experience uh, and they are less likely to say I'm not going to go to a music gig because I like theatre. Mm. Yeah. What they'll do is go out to a performance that takes place in their community. And so the, the contract we have to have as the rural arts organisation is that we deliver a good night out. Artistically, in terms of the direction of Beeford, that's been the long haul we're on. 
to, to get there, I think there are two ways of having that, that agreed contract with the audience. The one is to put on a show in a village hall because that's a good thing for the community, but which is not at any point finding that, that spark that ignites the space. Whereas what, what we attempted to do was, was get to a position where the audience and the community promoter would trust us that whatever it was we were proposing would deliver on that contract. So the meeting between artists and community occurs in a space in which that community is comfortable. Where BFID has gone over the past five years has enabled us now to start talking to theatre companies about how a good night out can be something other than fireworks and circuses. And where I'll head to is the opportunity that then gives for a scheme like us to start embedding artists mm -hmm. in communities. The relationship between multi-story and Beeford Arts, can you talk about that a little bit? Because, you know, we know what we love about their work. The relationship is, is more important than just whether we are part of the programme. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's also important in terms of creating... A theatre culture. A, a, a culture in North Devon. And conversations and, and, like this that are happening. Yeah, I think it's fair to say. I mean, that, 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 that right. we are something of a catalyst in getting organisations to talk to each other as yeah. well. Mm. And they do, more than they used to. Very yeah. important, you're often working in isolation as artists and trying yeah. to find different networks that you can key right. into. Yes, I agree. You, you have been a significant catalyst in improving relationships since I've been at Beeford. Yeah. do exercises for us, we'll do like composition exercises, it's like okay so you have 10 minutes and I just gave you 12 ingredients that have to be included in this scene about X. And how much that will you use? Sometimes we, sometimes we've used none of it, sometimes yeah. we've used yeah. images of it, yeah. but then yeah. there's other times in which we get to the kernel of something, it's like okay so whatever you guys just did actually just illuminated what we've been missing and we haven't found. One of the things that had, had distressed us quite a lot recently in the shows that we said we, we'd, we'd been to see that had really upset us and made us feel we were out of step was that the quality of the language that had been chosen was poor. So we are interested in words, I am interested in, 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 in different ways of using heightened language. We've definitely relied more, uh, I think, you know, mostly for better, on the the source text as our guidepost and then our theatrical sensibilities in bringing that to uh, the stage in a really, you know, unique way that connects with an audience and tells the story. Yeah. When I was a youth, the relationship that I valued was the relationship between me and actors. I suspect that is still the primary relationship, but a lot of people who set the agenda tend to be more interested in the ideas than in the personal relationship. The relationship they value is more likely with a company right. and with the ethos or style right. that that company represents. I think a lot of the uh, kind of experimental stuff, the improvisational stuff, is a lot of what happens early on while we're either working with material to understand material or 
um, oftentimes it is to actually create the bond and trust in other actors that we're working with yeah. Yeah. and to kind of really kind of spark the creative juices between people so they yeah. feel confident enough and we all feel confident that we've, we we've been creating things yeah. together in this way we know that with any piece of work that anybody makes there is a disjunct between what the creator thinks it's about and what the play is actually revealing about the people who've made it <laughs> mm -hmm. and Absolutely. therefore what it is actually about. Mm -hmm. I started with the three-day workshop program with the Authentic Artist Workshop in December 2007 and I've done 30 of those workshops now in London and across Scotland and I found that um, they've attracted musicians, actors, singers, poets, directors, choreographers, painters, people from all kinds of disciplinary backgrounds and that's been fantastic for me just to widen the range of who I work with and learn more in that process. As I was saying earlier, the collective kind of grew out of that and, and this is the third project that the Authentic Artists Collective has done. I mean, I think this is going to be something more like a kind of installation, invited audience kind of event than a straightforward theatre show. Mm -hmm. How would you describe the techniques that we, I mean, we saw, you know, three hours of, of work that was mm -hmm. very much about, let's try this, let's try this, oh, that's interesting, let me kind of document that, mm -hmm. which I found a very instructive way of, of working. I suppose the principal explorations are sound and movement, working with ensemble, working with some of the kind of the, you know, the, the themes or whatever, or the imagery or the ideas or whatever. Um, in this case, we were working with the waves this morning. There's a sense of trying to allow a certain freedom of individual expression. Basically, the, what I'm doing today has grown out of the work that I've, I've been doing in the Authentic Artist workshops. And the pedagogy of that is very much based on the idea that I'm trying to serve and facilitate each individual person's experience at the same time as there may be group activity occurring. They might come because they're feeling a bit stuck or they're working on a new idea or they feel a bit wounded from the profession and they need a bit of, you know, just like... And we've heard some of that safe. today. Apparently. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it could be pretty rough out there, as you know, working with crazy egos and crap, you know, so sometimes there's a restorative element. I'm always looking for truth, I'm always looking for, you know, authenticity. Um, I'm always looking for people being the most that they are able to be. For example, with um, Ellie, I only met her a week before she did my workshop and she wrote to me, she said she was really sceptical about it, she'd heard about it, she said, I don't like the sound of that, it sounds a bit weird, I'm not sure, you know, I'm... I don't know what authentic art, I'm, I'm no, I don't call myself an artist, I've never called myself an artist, that feels like pretentious to me, you know, she had a lot of resistance, and then she came and she went on this massive journey, mm -hmm. and she found her voice, and you know, she was just sort of amazing. It and then like she's still here she is, was only the beginning of this month that she was here. Wow. Now, as, as working ensemble, what do you find are your biggest challenges? What I'm really challenged by right now is how do we make work from this space? How do we actually make pieces 
performance-ready pieces from this place of acceptance and exploration, you know, exploration and, and, and sensitivity to each other and you know what what it often feels like the minute you go right and we open in two weeks everyone goes you know some contraction happens mm-hmm. some fear sets in and as soon as fear sets in people's egos come up. I mean, we've got a couple of pieces that are really, really tightly choreographed. So there's that discipline as well. I don't want it just to be amorphous, blur, you know. So that's that's really, you know, that's really my challenge. It's like, can we really keep the principles right to the performance? In the past, there's been a kind of grieving or mourning that I've gone through. I've had an amazing process. And then as it's gone through to become the product, I felt that there's been a loss. What is the process as we as we age as artists? Yeah. How do we either keep our interest in our art up? How do we interest whatever next generation or a generation that's missed us? How do we keep the creative curiosity moving forward? You know, this might be a direction you want to go. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to tell you where you're going to end up because I'm not sure. Yeah. But mm-hmm. Yeah. At least you don't have to cut through the stuff I've already cut through. Yes. And you can save your energy for your own path. This is all work that is not simple audience participation, but it's work that's completed by the engagement of the audience mm-hmm. in that space. It's work that organically develops yeah. with its audience. If there's been one thing I'm passionate about at Beeford, it's that that work is not confined to live art festivals. It can come out and play really, really well to rural audiences because actually, unwittingly, they've made it for exactly the kind of mm-hmm. audience willingness that a community of place brings to the performance space. One of the things that as we kind of, heavy quotes, matured, (laughs) is, and we, I mean, we work, uh, I guess, in a, the part of the food chain, I like to say, that, um, you know, there are artists who come and who work with us and they go off and do other things. We tend to focus them. We also keep experiencing people like Marcus. Yeah. People who are young, passionate, and who you hit them with these ideas at the right time, and they will forever look at uh, making art on a small scale as not something that is quaint or uh, outdated or or even a step to or a step else. to something else. Right, yes. so right. It just is valuable in its own right. It, it, exactly. it has a place. It has a purpose, and yeah. it has, uh, in a lot of time, a lot of instances, more meaning. Yeah, it's all important. Yeah, I, I wholly recognize that people are going to not be able, willing to swim in that pool for a long time. They either have different goals, dreams, whatever, but that they can take some of that. Uh, value with them so that as they go through the world as artists creating whatever size they're creating there is that but it has to be immediate it has to have a connection and you can't ever guess or gauge when you're going to be the catalyst for a spark that's been brewing in some random audience member's head I mean you just you can never gauge what your ripple causes for somebody else That desire to watch not somebody else playing those parts, but you playing those parts, and to get to know you 
And to have a relationship and an ongoing relationship is what I was describing as what fired me about theatre. I was interested in people. We yeah. feel that it's pretentious to talk about it. It says something so important about about us as human beings and our ability as human beings. Well, as a child taking on yeah. different characters, yeah. period. Exactly. It is that exact yeah. thing yeah. of, I think later on, as you like act and you pretend to be something and you really kind of yeah. get to a place where you understand another yeah. person yes. better because you have portrayed that. The empathetic. To, well, it seems to me to be saying to individuals and also to us in general that you can be other things. You don't have to be what you are. Right. You don't have to, you know, life doesn't deal you a hand and that's it. so much for listening to this very special Park Bench. Many thanks to our dear friends for their care throughout our stay and their openness in sharing their thoughts with us. Thanks again to Bill Buffery, Jill Nathanson, Kath Berlinson, and Mark Wallace. Thanks also to the network of ensemble theaters without whose support this iteration of Park Bench would not have been possible. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, you can contact Theater Simple at thsimple at gmail.com. And you can learn more about Theater Simple at theatersimple.org. That's T-H-E-A-T-E-R simple.org. Our music is the work of Rob Whitmer and the amazing Chandra Cogburn. You can find out more about Chandra at chandracogburn.com. That's C-H-A-N-D-R-A-C-O-G-B-U-R-N.com. The Park Bench interviews were conducted by Lisa Holland and Andrew Litsky, who also edited this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you on the park bench someday. Have a seat and tell us your thoughts. We'll tell the world. Mm-hmm.